Yeah, hey. Great, everyone. Morning. My name is Sean, and I am one of, well, I mustn't shout now that I'm one. Um, I'm one of the elders here at the church, along with Cephas, who's kindly doing this thing for me, um, Simba, and Bonisi, who's just come back uh, to the country. And it's a joy to be with you today. And you've caught us in a series that we've called Wisdom for Life. Uh, which is looking at the book of Proverbs and saying, how can we get wisdom, practical wisdom for living uh, from the Bible? And today is a great topic. It's a big topic. It's called Wisdom for Pesa. Okay, we all care about this one. But before we get into that, have you ever noticed that um, when an object is closer to you, uh, it looks bigger, and when it's further away, it looks smaller? Okay, it sounds obvious, but let me just give you some practical examples of this. Here is a picture um, of a fish that our worship leader today, uh, Timor Court, uh, in Moranga just last week. Now, don't be deceived, folks. This fish looks huge. It looks like it is the, the length of his son's legs. But in reality, this fish, I promise you, I kid you not, was only this long. Now, this is a famous fisherman's trick of holding the fish closer to the camera. But well done, Timor, for catching that, that massive trout. Here's another one. Even the sun can look tiny when your hand is closer to the sun and it's closer to your face than the sun. Look at that. It looks like that person is holding the sun in their fingers. But meanwhile, we know actually that sun is not the size of a pebble. It's humongous. But it's amazing how perspective and nearness can have a massive impact on how big something looks. And it's the same in our lives. What's happening today, what's happening now in front of our faces can look a lot bigger, a lot more important than what will happen tomorrow, what will happen next week, what will happen next year, what will happen in 20 years. And actually, the book of Proverbs that we've been going through is a lot like this. It talks a lot about this. A lot of the wisdom in the books of Proverbs is about remembering to live in the present with the future in mind. Remembering to live now in light of them. So a farmer is told, hey, plow your fields, sow your seeds now so that you can reap a harvest later. Parents are told, hey, invest in your children. Don't just let them watch TV all day, even though you're tired and that would be a lot easier for you now. If you want to reap a harvest of a godly life, a child of character when they are growing up. And the same is true for wisdom for PESA. We need to handle money now with the future in mind. We are to live now in light of them. As we live in a city that is obsessed with money. Every church even, it seems, in Nairobi is obsessed with money. The prosperity gospel will tell you actually Christianity as well is just another way to get money from God. But we all need money. We all have to deal with money. And so we all need wisdom for money. And guys, it's in the Bible that we can find that wisdom for living, even when it comes to Pesa. Came across an article this week in Forbes magazine online. It's a secular, well-known business magazine. And the title of the article was, Is the Bible the Ultimate Financial Guide? They were interviewing a wealthy Christian businessman 
who said that he has found most of his wisdom for finances in the Bible. The article mentioned the fact that money and possessions are mentioned over 2,000 times in the Bible. So as we go through this today, and I've been going through the book of Proverbs, I've become so aware that there's more just in the book of Proverbs than we have time to handle today. And there's a couple of things I'd love to still highlight, but we don't have time to dive into them. But I hope that as we go through it, something will stick in your heart. And my prayer is that you'll make a note of it. I'd encourage you to even take it into your life group this week. That's a great place to unpack this because you, you may have more questions than we have time to deal with in our time together. What I love about the book of Proverbs is that it's so practical. It's real wisdom for living. But it also points to some deeper, more profound, more heart-level things that we need to talk about today. So let me pray for us before we start. God, I just thank you this morning as we've been singing that because you live, we can face tomorrow. God, because you are victorious, you were victorious on the cross, all fear is gone. Lord, thank you that we can look to you, Yahweh, because of what you have done for us at Calvary. And thank you that you see us, you know us, you know our struggles in life, every single one of them. And you promise to walk with us, to provide for us, to help us. And God, thank you that you offer us freedom and life from the love of money, freedom from worry about tomorrow's finances. And God, that you give us great instruction through your word to know how to live with money now in light of tomorrow. Please, would you come by your spirit and lead us into truth this morning. Speak to each one of us, I pray, like only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Fantastic. So folks, what we're going to do today, we're going to look at this big topic of wisdom for Pesach under three headings that we find in the book of Proverbs. The first one is how to get Pesach, then how to spend Pesach, and lastly, how to master Pesach. So first, how to get Pesach. Uh, as per our sermon last week, the main principle that we find in the book of Proverbs is that if we want to get Pesach, we must... Work. work. Well done. You guys were listening. Well, you must work. You must work diligently. It says uh, in the book of, book of Proverbs chapter 10, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. And of course, as we heard from Eric last week, uh, Proverbs is a collection of these wise sayings that are called maxims, which means they are saying this is generally how things work out. And of course, there's exceptions where people don't do very much diligent work and they still get lots of Pesach. Or times when people do do a lot of diligent work and they, they still struggle financially. But the exceptions to the rules shouldn't stop us from applying the wisdom that we find in these sayings to our lives. So as Eric said last week, determine to work diligently. Don't expect others uh, to look after you and, and take on the responsibility to look after those who you are responsible for. Be faithful with what God has put in front of your hands today to work on, even if it's not your dream job, even if it doesn't pay as much as you'd like, even if it doesn't last that long, something goes wrong with that job, 
Be faithful in it. Learn from it. See how you can apply those learnings to the next opportunity. Faithfulness is a massive, massive theme in the Bible. If you are faithful with little things, even little things like your work and your money, then God will entrust you with bigger things. So do work diligently. Secondly, don't gamble to get pesa. We see that in the book of Proverbs. Don't be obsessed with finding easy money or falling for these get-rich-quick schemes that are out there. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Proverbs 28 says, He who tills his land, that's diligent work, will have plenty of food. But he who follows empty pursuits, e.g. gambling, will have poverty and plenty. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Okay, one tribe, we need to talk about sports pesa and Betway at this point. Okay, because what's happened is that uh, these companies have taken our pure love and passion for the game of football and have turned it into big business. The statistics I found from 2022 were over 30% of Kenyans, which means that a lot more higher percentage of young Kenyans, are involved with sports betting. And that they spend 463 million shillings a day on these betting apps. And you may say, but hang on, Sean, this is not speculative. I know Chelsea. I know that today there is no way on earth they can beat Tottenham. But friends, even, even Chelsea can have a miraculous day at the office. <laughs> and if you get involved with sports betting, the truth is you probably will lose a lot of money. Otherwise, it wouldn't be good for these big businesses. And even if on the odd occasion you win, just remember that the money you're getting is actually being taken away from everybody else who's rolling the dice on that day. Don't gamble to get PESA. Next up, don't be dishonest to get PESA. Proverbs 21 says, a fortune, lied by a, lying, a fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. Proverbs 21, verse 6 says, Food gained by fraud tastes sweet, but it only ends up with a mouth full of gravel. Guys, here we have to talk about stealing at work. Okay, I um, came across this survey by the Anti-Corruption Commission of Kenya several years ago. And in that survey, they reported that six out of ten of us living in Kenya go to work every day with the intention to steal. And they said, hey, it's not my survey. They said, another two say, no, no, I'm not going to work with the intention to steal, but if the opportunity arises, I may partake. So if that survey is to be trusted, and I don't know if it is, that means if you are in a room at work with a group of 10, and you are a person of integrity, the chances are there is only one other person with you in that room who is willing to take a stand for doing the right thing at work, even if the rewards are beneficial to themselves. You do hear things floating out there like, hey, but God helps those who help themselves. Or, you know, you've got to eat where you work. 
And I don't know how true all those statistics are, but I can say from my experience, I've been doing business in Kenya for, for the last 18 years in the tourism and hospitality space. I have found it really sad to see good people, even profession Christians, seemingly not have a problem with taking something extra from their workplace if the opportunity arises. And friends, as Christ followers, we're not called to just slip in with the culture of our day. We're called to be different from this. The wise know that anything earned under the table or in the dark is not worth having and will ultimately ruin us. We also need to talk about taxes here. Guys, taxes can be a problem. You can justify it so easily. Hey, the government is not giving me the services they promised. Um, and also, the government is corrupt. So why shouldn't I cheat on my taxes? But Jesus himself was very clear that we are to give to Caesar what is due to Caesar, that we are to follow the laws of the land. In this church, I know of someone recently who found that their, their tax return was incorrect. And they actually went through the steps to amend that tax return, even though it was hugely out of their favor and they had to end up paying a big bill. That is integrity. And it's a type of integrity that God will honor. Another principle of Proverbs, in addition to don't be dishonest with Pesa, is similar, but don't take advantage of others to get Pesa. Proverbs 20 says, differing weights and differing measures, the Lord detests them both. So what used to happen here is that these merchants used to go into the markets with their produce. And they would have one set of weights for when they bought things from a supplier. And then they had another set of weights for when they sold things to a client so that they could profit out of both exchanges. Proverbs says in Proverbs 20 verse 14, it's no good, it's no good, says the buyer. And then he walks away and he boasts about the purchase he got. Guys, Christians are to be different. We ought to think about whether this is a fair and good deal for both sides of the table. Proverbs 11 says, people curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. All of these verses emphasize that we ought to get money by working diligently and adding value to the life of others, not through selling bad products or doing sneaky and shady dealings. Another thing we need to put on the table today in this general area is corruption. Proverbs 15 says, the greedy bring ruin to their households. Well, this corruption's a big deal. The greedy bring ruin to their households, but the one who hates bribes will live. You know, bribery is, is often about those in power who are refusing to give services to the people who need them unless eco kitu kidogo. Those who receive bribes, Proverbs says, will bring ruin to their households. And guys, those who give bribes to cut corners or to get favor or to get some sort of special treatment, they are guilty of dishonest game. Now, I know that many times it, it feels like, hey, these bribes are not being paid to cut corners or to get favor. These bribes are being paid to get services that the people deserve. 
and we just have to pay them anyway to get them. I understand that, and, and it's tough, and, and, and the exploitation and the pressure that is put on people to get services that they should be getting for free is wrong. It's exploitative. But as Christ followers, we ought to resist taking part in the cycle of corruption. Otherwise, we easily become part of the problem. God hates bribery, and so must we. Next thing, don't rely on debt to get Pesa. Wait, this is tough stuff. Proverbs 22 verse 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Now we must talk about Fuliza. Exactly, Fuliza. This is a great innovation that allows Kenyans to kind of get an advance on cash to smooth over your cash flows. And that's not necessarily a bad thing if you are sure that you will have the cash tomorrow or very quickly to repay it. It should be the exception and not the norm. It's not a way to spend more than you earn or to try live up with everybody else in your culture around you, to get the things that they say you need to be happy. What I've seen in, in running a business in Kenya and employing people is that sadly, so many of the people we employ will take whatever credit and whatever loan they can get their hands on. They will max out their credit line. And what I've seen it do is put huge pressure on their monthly earnings. And when their monthly earnings don't turn out as well as they expected or the investment, the thing they spent that money on doesn't turn out as well as invested, it cripples them and puts them at huge risk of bankruptcy. Sometimes I even feel like the attitude is, well, I'll take the loan and if I can't repay it, it's okay. But Psalm 37 says, it's the wicked who borrow and don't repay. Guys, the Bible does not take a favorable view on debt. So is there any, ever a legitimate time to borrow money? You know, not many people, for example, can pay up front in cash for land or, or a house. But how do you know when it's the right time to take on debt? Well, I think there is a principle in Proverbs that can help us with that. And it's found in Proverbs 24, verse 27. It says, put your outdoor work in order and get your fields ready. And after that, build your house. So for businesses and for individuals, make sure you are financially stable and established before you take on debt for any wise investments that you want to make. And make sure that the, the value of your, your assets that can easily be turned into cash always outweigh the value of the debt that you've taken on. So that makes it difficult if you take on debt for a car that loses value every year. It makes sense. It makes it hard for that maths to work out. One way that you can avoid that if you are taking on debt for an investment is to make sure that when you take on the debt, you also put in a big um, down payment up front so that the value of the asset you end up with always is bigger than the debt you owe. You know, in business, I've experienced the pain and the pressure of debt. <laughs> About 10 years ago, we, we borrowed money to invest in a venture that we were sure was going to pay off handsomely. But guess what? It didn't. It bled cash. 
And it put massive pressure on us as a company. It almost sunk the other activities that we were involved with. Guys, there is nothing worse than feeling like you are a slave to somebody that you owe money. And it's not how God intended us to live. Debt is dangerous. It can turn you into a slave. It can lead you into financial ruin. So only consider it if you plan to use that debt to invest in something that is a wise and solid investment and to make sure that that will have greater value than the debt you're taking on. And only do it when you are financially established. So that even if the investment doesn't work out as you'd hoped, you're still in a position to repay it. Okay, so those are the do's and don'ts on how to get money. But once we have it, what is the wisdom from Proverbs on how to spend it? Well, it starts with the only don't. And it's a biggie. Don't spend more than you get. Proverbs 21 verse 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. So this means that the wise live within their means. They don't spend more than they earn. And they spend it intentionally. They go to the shops with a shopping list. They don't just go shopping on impulse. And they find ways to plan for their spending so that under what they, they think they're going to earn in the month, they put in the big rocks. They know, okay, well, I've got to do my tithe. I've got to do my rent. I've got to do my food. I've got to do my transport. I've got to do my saving. And they make sure that that planning helps them not to overspend their limits. And when they have wise plan, they don't just spend on whatever they desire or whatever their friends or media say that they need. They're especially wary of extravagant and luxury purchases. Proverbs 21 says it like this. I hope this doesn't get too personal. Whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. So don't spend above your means. And the next tip is do save. One of the best ways to stay out of debt is to save for the future. As we read last week, Proverbs talks about the ants who are constantly storing up things for the winter that is ahead. That's how saving works for you. It helps you to plan for your future so that when you do get that unexpected medical expense, when you do get that car that breaks down, when you do have that school fee bill that comes in, you actually don't have to take on debt to pay for those things because you've diligently saved up until that moment. Again, this also applies to, to your business. We've got great um, business advice from a mentor of mine in the business world. And something he says to us over and over again is keep more cash than you think you'll need. There's actually research that shows out there that the most successful businesses out there keep on average a lot more cash than the average in the industry. It enables them to survive those shocks that eventually will come. And it also enables them to invest in opportunities as they arise. A contemporary way of saving for businesses and individuals is insurance. And I would encourage you, look at what insurance you can afford. Whatever you can afford and the big items like health and car insurance, if you've got a car, even life insurance, if you've got a family who depends on you, look at ways of investing in that, even if it's starting with something small. But remember whether or not you can afford to get insurance. It is God who ultimately holds our future. Next tip is do invest. 
Did you know the Bible talks about investment? Proverbs 13 says, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. So the wise invest in things that makes the money they've been entrusted with grow. Okay, this reminded me of a lecture in business school that I had, and so I couldn't help and resist putting up a slide on the power of compound interest. Albert Einstein, if he says it, we should listen up, says, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it, earns it. And he who doesn't, pays it. So this is what compound interest is all around. Please bear with me if this is not your cup of tea. But on the bottom line there, um, you can see a blue line, and that represents 10,000 shillings that you invest in an investment that gets 10% return every year, and it's gonna go on for 30 years. Are you with me so far? The blue line is the 10,000 shillings, and that just stays the same throughout the whole time that it's invested. Now the red line is the 10% interest you get on that original investment. So every year, that investment fund or that bank is gonna pay you 10% interest on that 10,000 shillings. So that's how much in a year? 1,000 shillings, exactly. 1,000 shillings is 10% is of 10,000. So you can see that red line builds up 1,000 shillings a year at a time. The yellow line is where the magic happens of compound interest. That line represents the interest on your interest. So it starts very slow. But as you get that first 1,000 shillings, if you don't take it out and you leave it in, they pay interest on that. And it grows eventually, exponentially over time. That is the power of long-term investment. Proverbs 27 talks about knowing the condition of your flocks so that they can provide milk and clothing for you in the future so that you can have the option to sell them and invest in fields. Livestock in those days was a type of bank. It was a type of investment fund. And we today in the same way are to pay attention to, to be thoughtful about the resources that God has given us in our hands. Proverbs 13 says, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. What a blessing to be able to invest in a way that leaves an inheritance for your children so that they can be a blessing to others. And of course, guys, there's many ways to invest and we don't have time to talk about that all today and it can be overwhelming to think about and to figure out. There's lots of get-rich-quick promises that are out there when it comes to investing. But a couple of quick tips for me, uh, invest in a number of things if you can. Some that are, are lower risk and lower return and some that are a little bit higher risk. Some that are more liquid, you can get your cash out quickly when you need it. And some that you can't, so you're not tempted to blow that cash because it's tied up in a long-term thing like land or, or, or a fixed deposit. Ecclesiastes 11 says, invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. Then it goes on to say, just like you can't tell what the weather's going to do, you can't really tell what investments are going to do. So in verse 6 it says, sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let lot your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. So there you have it. Do invest, do save. But I want to say a word here for those of you who are thinking at this point, Sean, honestly, this all sounds great. But I am just looking for my daily bread. I don't have the money or the luxury to invest or save like you are talking about. Or maybe you're thinking, well, Sean, I'm just no good at this. I've messed it up. 
I don't know how to save. I don't know how to invest. And I don't know if I ever will. Friends, can I just encourage you today that above and beyond the wisdom of Proverbs is a God who loves you, is a God who cares for you, and is a God who wants you to trust Him with all of your needs and not to be anxious about what you will wear and what you will eat tomorrow. So let's be teachable, right? Let's listen to the wisdom of Proverbs. Let's do our best to apply it. But let's also trust in God. Let's also not save and invest for the wrong reasons. Because you can do it in a way that, that makes you greedy. In a way that makes you independent of your reliance on God and on others. Instead of doing it out of a heart of wanting to steward what God has given you. And so that you have something to share in the future when needs arise around you. Does that make sense? And that leads us to our final heading today, which is how to master Pesa. You see, Proverbs acknowledges that there's many good things about money. It helps us plan for our futures. It helps us provide for those we are responsible for. But when it comes to money, the strongest language in the Bible and in the book of Proverbs are warnings. Warnings that money can ultimately disappoint what it promises. Warnings to not let money become our master, our idol, or our God. Jesus said, you can't serve God and love money. Paul said that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. A great summary for how to master Pesa with the wisdom of Proverbs is found in Proverbs 30. It says, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and dishonor the name of my God. So when it comes to mastering Pesa, the first principle we see here is to pursue contentment, not riches. Solomon, who wrote Proverbs, was a very, very wealthy guy. But in Ecclesiastes, he said, he who loves money will not be satisfied with it, nor he who loves wealth with his income. Enough is never enough for the person who has not mastered money in his heart. John D. Rockefeller, maybe the richest American who ever lived, was asked, how much money does a man need to make him happy? And his answer, just one more dollar. Proverbs says that there are other things that are way more valuable than money in life. Wisdom, righteousness, good character and reputation, love are all better. Proverbs 15, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a small serving of vegetables than a fattened calf with hatred. How much better to get wisdom than gold. A good name is more desirable than great riches to be esteemed better than silver. Bruce Weltke, commentator, says money can buy a house, but not a home. It can put food on the table, but not fellowship around it. The writer of Hebrews says... Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Contentment helps us greatly to master money. And so does the principle of stewardship. 
remembering that all you have ultimately belongs to God, and we simply steward it on his behalf. And she said, guys, my, the, my bank account, my MPS account, it's in my name. But God says, no, I am the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I am the Lord of the earth. I own the earth and everything that is in it. Then you might come back and say, but hey, I earned that money. I worked hard for it. I, I made that smart investment. I built that business. Well, God would come back again in the words of Scripture and say, in Deuteronomy 8, it is the Lord who gives you the ability to create wealth. And in Proverbs 20, it is the blessing of the Lord that brings wealth without painful toil for it. So if God has given you the ability to create it, and then he's actually given it to you, and then he said, but I still own it, then that leaves us in a position of simply being stewards. And every shilling that passes through our hands in this world, we are to hold and to use on behalf of another, on behalf of God. So we, we master money through stewardship of money. We master Pesa through trusting God and not money. It's so easy to put your trust in money, the money you have now or the money you hope you have all in the, in the future. It's so easy to think that that's what's going to keep you safe. That's what's going to make you happy. That's what's going to get you what you want from life. But Proverbs has got harsh words for those who live like that. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. As Christians, we are to trust in God, not money, to provide for our needs. And as a reminder in our prayer time this morning, we're not even saying there that, hey, God's a, a safer place for your financial uh, income. What we're saying there is that we're called to something completely different as Christians. God has turned the world of money upside down. The kingdom is upside down. We're called to trust in God because he died on our behalf to set us free from sin and the reliance and the love of money. We're called to trust in him and actually to lay down all of our lives, everything we are and everything that we have in response to what he has done for us. That's what it looks like to trust in God. If you want a master peso, you also definitely have to be generous. And this should actually have been top of the list on the spending section, but I saved it till now because this is the primary practical way we can really master money in our hearts. Giving lots of money away keeps you free from the love of money and it helps you to put God first in your life above money. It's a declaration. My money doesn't belong to me. I'm stewarding it for someone else. It's a reminder that my trust is in God, not in my bank balance. Proverbs actually hits the two big ways that God calls us to be generous. Number one, giving to the poor. Proverbs 19 verse 7 says, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. And number two, giving to the church. Proverbs 3, 9 to 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled. One tribe, if you want to master money, you must master generosity. And my encouragement to all of us today is to excel in these two areas of generosity. Let us be generous to the poor. 
Let us have our eyes open to needs around us. Let us work in teams, in life group, or as a church through the Haki ministry and the Mercy ministry to address the need that is around us. Guys, let's excel in giving to the church, to the mission that God has given to us. Let's mature in generosity as a body so that we can achieve all that God has called us to by His grace in the city and in the nations around us. I just want to say a word to those of you who, who may feel like in this area of stewardship and generosity and trust that, you know, actually God has already blessed you with, with more finances than you need, or maybe God will one day. I'd encourage you to think about uh, putting a cap on what you spend on yourself and on your family. Uh, praying about, God, what circle do you want me to draw around? That I know, hey, within that circle, there's freedom to spend on the things I need, the things my family need to save and invest wisely. But beyond that, I determine to give it all away. Because if you don't do that, what happens is as your income rises, so does your lifestyle. And it never stops. But there's some inspirational stories how God has used people who've, who've approached money like that as a great channel of blessing to those around them. And God has saved them from all the traps and all the pitfalls that inevitably come with a love affair with money. Lastly, if we want to master money, we must have an eternal perspective. We spoke in the beginning about how a lot of the Proverbs are actually talking about living in the present with the future in mind, living now in light of them. And actually, that's something Jesus spoke about a lot when it came to money. He spoke about not just investing wisely for the years to come, which is like the hand in front of our face, but the life to come, which is the sun, which looks small in comparison to your hand, but actually it is gloriously big. He told stories to urge his followers to make sure they use any money they get right now in this short life to get returns in eternity. He said things like, don't store up your treasures in on the earth, where, where rust is there, where thieves break in, where moths destroy. But, but store up your treasure in heaven, where none of that happens. It's a risk-free investment, and it pays off in perpetuity for eternity. I was really helped by Andrew Wilson, a pastor from a partner church in the UK, and in preparing for this sermon. He was talking about the teachings of Jesus on money. And the example that he used was the example of the game uh, of Monopoly, right? And he used to play Monopoly with his younger sister. And his younger sister was about four years younger than him. And what he realized as he started playing with her is that, wow, she's really invested in this game. So much so that Andrew used to say, hey, listen, what about I give you um, 500, 600 pounds of Monopoly money and you give me your two pounds of pocket money? And he said that she thought this was a great deal. This is like 600 for two, absolutely yes. And so he swindled his little sister out of her pocket money. And you know, I'm not saying that was right, folks, but there is wisdom there. You see, what Andrew realized was that very soon that game of Monopoly would be over and he would be left richer with those two pounds in hand. And the same is true for us. Very soon, our life will be over. The money we have in this world will go back in the box. These earthly bodies will go in a box and will be lowered into the earth. 
But Jesus encourages his followers to use this money that they get during this game of Monopoly and exchange it for wealth that will last then, however you can. That's what happens when we give to the poor. That's what happens when we invest in the mission. And I, I'm not saying that, that we don't spend any of this money on things today. You know, if we don't spend money, we will literally die. You need food and you need clothes. We need to look after those that we're responsible for. And, and I'm not saying you don't try grow this money. Invest it wisely so that you can invest more later for the kingdom. But I am saying there's an opportunity before us every day, either to move towards this life, this hand that's in front of our face that looks so big, or move towards that glorious, glorious future that we have in heaven one day. And friends, I don't get this right. I feel like sometimes I'm spending money that is drawing my heart back down here. And then other days I'm getting it right and I'm investing with my heart set on eternity. And I pray for all of us, we would grow in doing more of that, living now for then, thinking about that future in our present reality. Just like Jesus did. Jesus, it says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And then he was exalted to the right hand of the Father. Though he was rich, he became poor. And on the cross, he paid the debt of death for my sin, for your sin, that we were enslaved to, so that we could be debt-free for eternity. He said on the cross, this is costing a lot, but I gladly pay it because of what the glorious future I know holds for us and all who believe in me. Friends, let us fix our eyes upon him. Let us earn, spend, and master Pesa with his example in mind and our glorious destiny enlarged in our hearts. Let me pray for us. God, we... We thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for all the practical wisdom we find in the book of Proverbs. And Lord, we, we just want to pray, Lord, that you would help us to be teachable, that you would help us to learn and to grow in maturity in this area. But Lord, we also want to pray for our hearts and for the vision that we have for our lives. And God, we want to ask, won't you help us to see that this game is nearly over that real life is still coming. And God, we pray that you would help us to fix our eyes there for the joy that is set before us and to use everything that you've given us on this earth as stewards in a way that invests in the life that's to come. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.